Good morning. Hey, would you remain standing just one more moment longer? This is a really short passage today. By the way, I was digging that slow jam. That was nice. Not, not to take away from the importance of what we were just singing. That is our prayer even as we come around God's Word today, right? Your Word exposes our inability to make ourselves right. Your Word exposes our lack of strength, but it points us to our only strong Savior. Right, everyone? All right, let's hear the reading of God's Word from Acts 18. We were just starting the beginning of Acts 18 last Sunday, and now we're in the, the end of Acts 18, verses 18 through 23. So if you, wanna, if you need a second, I know if, if someone needs a Bible passed out, we can do that. We have those in the back. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, this is a gift for you, by the way. If you're a guest here and you don't have your own Bible, feel free to take this with you. Uh, and someone can pass you one of those around if, if anyone raises their hand and says, all right, I need one of those. Well, while you turn there, here we go. This is God's word from Acts 18, beginning in verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Sancreae. He had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue. That doesn't sound like a new story, does it? And reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking the leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Verse 22, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. This is the holy and errant word of God. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat. Sometimes uh, in preaching a, a text, you find that like you'll begin to preach through it or, or teach through it and then subvertly bring out the theme. But today it's kind of like, let's just lay out the big idea here, right here at the beginning, all right? I'm just going to go ahead and give away the whole reoccurring theme really here in Acts, but coming up here in Acts 18, this is it. You ready? Whatever we believe is great about the things that happen... Whoever we believe to be extremely courageous in Scripture, bold in speaking, followable in leadership, articulate in communicating the gospel, all these things being wonderful things, whatever and whoever we believe to be great, here, Jesus is greatest. So as we've been following Paul's evangelism journey, his missionary journey, he keeps saying, Basically, that Jesus is the Christ, and there is none other. There is no one greater. As he goes into reason in the synagogue, as he's sent to the Gentiles, as he's out in the courts before people, as he interacts with the women when Lydia is converted, all these things that keep coming up, Paul just gets around to, I'm weak and my Savior's great, and I'm in need of a Savior to work through me Ultimately, I need to remind you all as I remind myself, is what Paul's saying, that Jesus Christ is greatest. So, 
There's the big idea for us today. We could just stop and end there, but there's some important things for us, important things for us to remember here today. Uh, you know, as I, I was thinking through this, you know, this is a, a short passage, and it's kind of a bridge, right? Uh, we'll back up into earlier Acts 18 just to remind ourselves of what's been going on, just some history there. But as I was reading through this, the truth is the more I read this book, the book of Acts, the more I read really God's Word, I, I find the more that I'm, I'm tempted to believe that following Jesus, that the Christian life is about trying to have the same story as some of these biblical characters. In other words, like victory is being just like Paul. And don't get me wrong, Paul himself would later in one of his letters say, do as I do, follow the way that I follow. And there's something wonderful about seeing God's grace evidence in the lives of other believers and saying, I want to be like that. I mean, it's the way a parent is to a child to disciple our children well, or the way that we are in a small group, in a a group with one another where we go, I want to be like that. That example is something I want to expire. So it's not that we don't want to seek godly examples shown through others, But what I'm tempted to believe is if it doesn't look the same as someone else following Christ, that I'm failing. That's one thing that was just exposed in my life, my heart, just reading through this. You know, why is it that I I believe that, that it's got to look like this particular story? And two, my prayer that just continued to come up and and is the prayer as I stand with you here today, uh, is that... I don't just toss out some interesting details about the Apostle Paul this morning, because there is a lot to think about here and what's going on with Paul's missionary journey here in Acts 18. And, it, and it's, it's, my prayer is not that I walk away saying, good, I made sure to get all the historical data in order here. And it's certainly not that somehow we just end with, so make sure your story looks the same as Paul's. My prayer is that we walk away today having our hearts revived again today, saying, wow, look at how God has always been there. Look at His faithfulness on display. Look at how Jesus is Lord of all things and over my life personally. Look how the Spirit, if we want to think about Romans 8 for a second here, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, look at how the Spirit is alive in the people of God, is alive in the followers of Jesus and so let's, let's make that our prayer again together today. And let me pray for us as we continue on. Lord, help us. Help us to rest that you're always at work. Truly that the Spirit is at work in the life of, of your church, Jesus. Help us to remember even in the shortest of passages that you have something to show us. Not just teach us more knowledge about your Son, our Savior Jesus, but teach us that truly Jesus is near and truly that we are in need. Help us again today. Revive our hearts. Truly restore the joy of salvation that only comes from you. And send us out. Send us out being bold again. Send us out proclaiming again. Send us out resting again. That when we do proclaim the truths of the gospel, when we rehearse it in our own hearts, that it truly isn't in vain. It's not for naught. Help us, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray together. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. So, right here in verse 18, it begins with, after this. What's the this? What's been going on? Let's just back up for a second. 
Uh, this is coming to the end of Paul's second missionary journey, right? We've begun his first missionary journey in kind of the middle of Acts, and now here in chapter 18, towards the end, it's going to end his second missionary journey and begin his third missionary journey here, at the, the last portion of Acts 18 into Acts 19. Uh, if you've been following through Acts, in, in other words, if you've been with us for a while, we've, we've been going through Acts for a while, and we're going to continue to do so, I believe, all the way through October. In, in the beginning of the chapter, it's where Paul meets a, a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. That's what we learned last Sunday. Um, and, and we know that Paul approaches them, and they have a similar skill, a similar trade. You know, Paul was like a, a leather worker. The language in the English text is here is a tent maker, that they all had this similar trade together. And they had been, they being Priscilla and Aquila, they had come to Corinth because they were forced to leave their home in Rome. There was a command for all the Jews to leave Rome. In other words, we don't want you folks stirring up trouble here. We're trying to be a particular nation here, and you are not permitted to live here anymore. You need to leave this area. And so they've landed here really as refugees. And Paul stays with them. They take Paul in, and he earns some money doing leather work, tent making, and then as he's been doing, he continues to reason in the synagogue every Sabbath and, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, it says in, in chapter 18, verse 4. But then we see as chapter 18 continues on, he is later opposed and reviled by the Jews. In other words, this Messiah you're proclaiming, we're not going to put up with it. We're tired of hearing it. This Messiah you proclaim is not the same Messiah that we believe. That Messiah has not come yet. We don't see this in the same way you do. Stop what you're doing. You're stirring up trouble. And so Paul says, all right, I'm moving on to the Gentiles. And all of this taking place in Corinth, remember, this is a massive city. This is a trade center. This is an Epicurean center. It's known for wealth and prosperity. And the climax in the beginning of Acts 18 is when the Lord speaks to Paul in a vision one night, right? And the Lord says to Paul, do not be afraid, but what? Go on speaking and do not be silent for I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. That's Acts 18, 9 and 10. Let's pause there. I know that was preached last week, but this is important for what we're even remembering this Sunday, this weekend, in the text we're in, verses 18 through 23. Something interesting is because it reminds us of truly God's oversight of everything. That things don't get past God, that He doesn't have to like okay, now i got to take this path because you did this. You swerve this way, I'll swerve this way. No, it's like, I've got all this under my watch. I've got all this under my care. I truly am sovereign over all things. My son's work is not in vain. I know what's going on, and I control what's going on. And there's a great comfort in that. There's a great comfort in that even for us today as the people of God. And when we go, what are we supposed to do with all of this? And it's interesting when God tells Paul in this vision, for I have many in this city who are my people, because not only is he reminding that I've given you Priscilla and Aquila here, and I've given you some others who, are gonna, who have come to know me, but it's also prophetic, right? Paul's work, his faith 
And the Lord is being honored because there are some to come. And of course, we'll see that later in Paul's letter to Corinth, right? This is just kind of the beginning of like, the fruit of all this is coming to be. Trust in me. And then in verse 11, just after this, we find that Paul stayed for a year and a half. Well, that's a similar pattern too. He remains somewhere as he reasons with Jews and Greeks. And he remains there teaching the word of God among the people of Corinth. And then what happens again? Another uproar against Paul. He's kept from further turmoil, as God had promised, because of the proconsul named Gallio, who decides that Paul is doing nothing against the law. That this is the this, that's been what's happening. So now we understand that after this, right? That's everything that's been going on. So Paul stays for a bit and then decides to set sail for Syria with who? With Priscilla and Aquila. So let's pause here for a moment. We, we understand what's been going on, what's been happening leading up to this moment where Paul will leave with Priscilla and Aquila. Now, I imagine Paul to be this tough guy, you know, and all that he's been through, if we just want to back up, if you've been tracking through Acts for a while, the guy's been drug out, he's been beaten, he's been imprisoned, he's been released from prison, he's been mocked. A lot of things have gone on that aren't going well. And if we just want to look historically for a second, what's interesting is even Paul's timing of meeting Priscilla and Aquila and deciding to work. One thing we know about Paul is he forsook money, right? He would would remind in 1 Corinthians' letter to, to Corinth that, hey, these things are all fine for me. He was referring to he and Barnabas at this particular time in his letter to Corinth, like, it would be totally fine. We are worth the wage. But for the sake of the gospel, I'm not trying to take all this money. I'm not trying to get into this. I'm not trying to worry about that. But it seems like something comes up here for Paul where he says, hey, you know what? I have a need. I'm going to step in. Here's how God's providing. He steps in with Priscilla and Aquila and and earns some wages here. We don't know what's going on, but probably there's a need exposed. And thanks be to God that the Lord provides in this way. I I think we're going to find just like us, Paul was truly an incredibly needy man. Even though when we look at Scripture, we go, wow, look at all that was accomplished through the Apostle Paul. He's a needy man who is being only sustained and held up by the only one who can do such a thing. And that's, that's for us too. So we actually find Paul didn't have much to his name. I've already said this, that he actually forsook taking a wage in 1 Corinthians 9, he wanted, to be, he wanted to present the gospel free of charge. And Paul truly believed that the gospel of Jesus was worth more than his own life. Uh, what this doesn't mean is, is that the effects of poverty weren't there for, for Paul. He's in a place of need. He stops to use his trade in a time of need. And then two, Paul is facing extreme discouragement, I can imagine. His, his own people won't hear him out. Think about Paul's heritage. He is a Jew. Later on, he would voice, I, I was, I'm, a, I'm a Jew of Jews. Like, I've been schooled in this. I've been equipped in this. I am one of you. And his own people won't hear him out. And as we'll see in the chapters to follow, it, it really is only going to get worse. In fact, Paul's going to be shown by the Lord, there's a lot more trial to come. And the Lord continues to remain, I'm going to, to, to remind, I'm going to sustain you. I will be with you. 
The Jews won't accept that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Paul is physically persecuted. Who does the Lord use during this time? A brother and a sister, Priscilla and Aquila, good old Priscilla and Aquila. We'll hear more about them next Sunday, too, because we'll see how the Lord continues to use them in this, in this missionary journey and even to establish a church. You know, when Priscilla and Aquila travel with Paul, we'll see here in a second, that they actually remain in Ephesus. And then later on in Scripture, we'll find that they actually have a home church there. They open their home and begin a church, and then later on, They'll actually go back to Rome. We don't know why they were allowed to go back, whether, whether Caesar lifted a decree or actually the Caesar who was oppressing them actually died. But they were able to go back to Rome and they establish another church there. And so there's a beautiful cycle here how the Lord is using people around Paul and using Paul in their own lives. So we may be thinking, yeah, but, but Paul heard directly from the Lord in a vision, don't be afraid, and, and you're right, you know, we may be thinking that's, that's something we need to hear from God, but the point is not for us to look for a vision from God in this way, right? We're not waiting just to hear words, new words from the Lord. Uh, that was how God chose to deal with the Apostle Paul, right then and there. I think the bigger point for us is God is spil- still speaking that truth to you and me today. It's, it's just that, as he says, go on, speak boldly, don't be afraid. It's like he's saying, I've given you Acts 18. My reminder to Paul is another reminder of my presence with you too. I was with Paul, and I am with you now. So we don't want to get it twisted, right? It doesn't mean that God promises the same promise that he gave to Paul, that no one will ever attack you. And obviously we know that God's giving Paul a momentary thing here because later on he would be attacked again. But God's provision through Paul or for Paul is one that stands firm. He's faithful. And that's a provision that we can see in a different way. For us today, we can say, I can trust that the Lord is using his word to speak to me, to us, here and now. You know, I, I can't express how comforting it is to know that the voice of our Savior is still ringing loud today. You know, as we come to the Scriptures, we get to hear every single word we need to hear from our God. Amen? We don't have to hear something outside of this in order for it to be God speaking. We don't have to have a vision. We don't have to have an audible voice. God has given us every single word to speak that he chooses to speak to us in this. There doesn't have to be anything extra from this. And so our desire to hear that would be a wrong desire. Our desire to look for that would not be of God. Let's trust what he's already spoken here again today. Here's another thing. God continues to draw this out. We have Priscilla and Aquila in our, in our lives who are ready to journey with us. There are Priscilla's and Aquila's in our lives here today who the Lord places in seasons of messiness and in seasons of celebration. Are, are we remembering God's provision in this way? Just like Paul, that after this, as they journey, you know, it's interesting Priscilla and Aquila having this trade, who knows what's going on there? It could be that the Lord has used them to even 
provide some financial resources so that Paul can travel. They travel together. Maybe they were able to amass some, some money together to, to get a boat and go. You know, the Lord is using them around. How are we remembering how the Lord is surrounding us with the people of God to continue to journey, to sojourn, to be on a journey in following Jesus, that this is not a solo journey? And so that's one of the things that comes out of this text for us here today, right? Is following Jesus, speaking boldly, living obediently, looking to Christ is not one where we just go, I just got to get alone with God, and that's the only way this thing works. Our journey with Jesus Christ is certainly with Jesus. It's following Jesus, but it's with one another. We have one another to surround us in our groups together. You know, that's why we have groups. When we come together with these people, it's people that we want to come do life with even outside of this gathering, right? People that I can call up on the phone or shoot a text to and go, I'm in a crisis right now. Can you come meet with me? This is going on. Can you pray for me? Hey, can we meet up and talk through this? I don't know what's going on here, but I need someone to point me back to Jesus. I'm truly not believing right now. I'm having a hard time trusting God at His Word. All these things. So celebrate the Priscilla's and Aquila's that have been put in our own lives. Now, what's going on from here? Because that's just a short verse 18 we've only hit, right? Let's keep moving through the end. Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, they set sail for where? For Syria. And then it's interesting. There's this line in there where we go, what, what is this about? At Sancrii, Sancrii, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. What in the world is that about? What are you talking about there? Well, there's two things to see here. This is really interesting. Paul... Being a Jew, he still put himself under vows in Jewish ritual. Why? For the sake of others. Remember earlier in Acts 16? This is when Timothy joins Paul. Paul actually says, I'm going to take this young man along with me. He's a follower of the Messiah. What does he do with Timothy? After all the things that, that Paul and the Jerusalem council had to say about circumcision and that it wasn't necessary for salvation... Paul takes Timothy and has him circumcised. Why? For the sake of the Jews that Timothy is going to be around presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ to. And this is the same thing Paul's rehearsing in his own life. I'm remembering who I'm going to be around. I want to be in good standing. Uh, Paul, in the same chapter of Corinthians, we, were, we spoke about 1 Corinthians 9 earlier about how he was saying, I'm not trying to take money for the gospel. I want to present it freely. I don't need money to be faithful to the gospel. You know, in that same chapter later on, this is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, if you want to hear this or even turn there. You can just write it down to go back to later. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, For though I am free from all, and he's referring to all these things, I have made myself, what? A servant to all, that I might win more of them. Who's them? To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of who? Of Christ, that I might what? Win those outside the law. 
And this is beautiful. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. The heart of Paul to say, I'm putting myself under a vow here because I know who I'm going to be around. There's another thing going on here though. And this is fascinating as it takes us back to the Old Testament. Uh, If you want to dig into the real details, write this down. Go read number six and it will lay out this Nazarite vow that Paul seems to be taking because when it refers to him cutting his hair, this was part of a Nazarite vow. In Sincrei, it appears that Paul was completing this vow, uh, which in number six, as I was referring to, was to consecrate or separate oneself to the Lord. You know, if someone, if the Jews, the people of God, as we look back in the Old Testament, if they were wanting to separate themselves to the Lord, in other words, I want to, I want to have a season where I am giving up some things in order to be near to my Lord. Not that the Lord wasn't already near, but to say, I want to take this vow. It's kind of like for us today when we say, I want to do without something. I'm going to take a fast because I want to remember the Lord's provision alone. Every time I hunger or I thirst, whatever I'm fasting from, every time I long for that thing, it's when I come back to go, no, Lord Jesus, you are greater. And this is kind of what goes on with a Nazarite vow. I am purifying myself and I am coming before the Lord saying, I am in so need, I am so needy for the Lord and His overwhelming faithfulness and provision that I'm going to take this vow. It's similar to our season of Lent today, when we go through a Lenten season before Easter. So this vow, he he abstains from strong drink, abstains from anything related to grapes, wine, sour drink, all these things. And then it says, do not cut your hair. That's what number six reminds. Don't cut your hair, at least for the men, until its completion, until the vow is complete. Uh, so that also reminds us of, of another biblical character. If you remember growing up as a child reading these stories, the story of Samson in Judges 13, uh, there's this really strong guy who ended up cutting his hair. What happens? He loses his strength. Well, he was under a lifelong Nazarite vow. So Paul is, is not only displaying his weakness and saying, I want to be with you. I know the people that I'm going to be around, both Jew and Gentile, but because I continue to reason in the synagogue, I'm taking this vow. But he's also displaying his personal weakness, his neediness. And what an act to declare, saying, I don't have it all together. I am truly nothing without the Lord Jesus in a time of anguish, in a time of discouragement, maybe even in wondering, was this even how it's supposed to go, Lord? Paul separates himself to God through a vow that he knew very well. What's amazing about this whole thing is this vow is serving a dual thing. You know, Paul deciding to put himself under this thing while it's not required by God for him, it's not required to be a follower of Jesus. We'll actually see later on here in Acts, we're coming to Acts 
chapter 21, actually chapters 21 through 24, is that God actually uses this to orchestrate uh, another demonstration of using everything for His own glory. What's interesting about this vow is Paul would later stand before another leader You know, as he's being accused by Jews again, as he's being accused of actually stirring up trouble, and he would stand before this leader, particularly in Acts 24, 16, and this is what he says, I always, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. The Lord uses that actually to free Paul from further persecution and actually to give him good standing with others. There's something fascinating about how the Lord uses all this stuff together. So let me just say this. If you have issues with God being sovereign over all things, you may want to read the Bible again. This is just another evidence, more evidence of God being truly sovereign over all things. And Paul has been promised by the Lord, I'm with you. Don't be silent. I have many who are my people. That's what we read earlier in Acts 18. And now he's headed towards Ephesus. He's taken this vow. He's gone through these things. So Acts 18 19, as we continue on through the passage, he, Priscilla, and Aquila, they land where? In Ephesus. And Paul, typical mind made up, Paul heads where? The synagogue. And he reasons with the Jews. And verse 19 says, uh, as verse 19 does say, and this isn't the first time this happened. The people ask him to stay longer. That's occurred before in the book of Acts. In verse 20, what does he do? He declines. And then in 21, but on taking leave of them, he said, this is interesting, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila remain there, and as I stated earlier, and I will actually end up opening their home as a church gathering uh, before later returning back to their original home in, in Rome. You know, how do we treat God's movement over, over our own lives? Think about this. Do we make grand plans and try to force them I've decided this is the way it should happen, God. I I think this is it. I think this is your will, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. What happens when it doesn't go that way? Remember how Paul was stopped by the Spirit from going to Asia twice? You know, his words to the people in Ephesus are, I I will return to you. What? If, If God wills. And I don't think that's just a statement for us to just pick up and abuse, you know, like, Men in here, if you are dating a lady and she's like, hey, so when are you going to pick me up? And you say, well, I'm trying to discern when God wills it. You probably ought to rethink it. That's probably abuse of the statement, right? Or husbands with your wives, when are you going to be home? I'm trying to get the kids to bed. Can you help me? Well, if God wills it, I'll be home in an hour. No, go help. Go serve. (laughs) There's something within that, though, of understanding, like, our desires and saying, I've got to trust the Lord in all of this. I have to trust the Lord with my desires, even the things that I think this is the way it should be. So 
if God wills, how, how might we declare our trust in Jesus by acknowledging that he must be our lead? I think that's our opportunity to say, if God wills. In other words, Jesus, I'm truly having to follow you. If I follow anything else, I am not trusting. We're following a path of destruction. So maybe that's an opportunity to take a cue off of Paul there. Beautiful thing is we know later Paul, actually just a couple of verses later, Paul does return to Ephesus and he remains there for a while. So God willed. And then we move on. We're at the end of Paul's second missionary journey. Let's pick up in verse 22 here. When he had landed where at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. This is a familiar place, right? We've heard Antioch brought up a few times in Acts. Antioch is where Paul was actually first sent out on his missionary journey. It's where he's commissioned by the local church. And this is a beautiful thing how this cycle continues. He, he returned to this place a few times, right? He had, he had come back with Barnabas after their first missionary journey. And, and it was where they would return to Antioch and Syria and tell their brothers and sisters all that God had done. And we don't know what Paul's dialogue is necessarily here when he returns to Acts to the people who we can imagine what it must have been like for him to return to the people who sent him out to the people that that knew him really well you know can you imagine being in a place where you're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and you have the stiff arm of others going get out of here with that mess as you have physical persecution or you're just discouraged yeah there's fruit Paul can celebrate and, and relay to the church in Antioch. But man, can you imagine what it must have been like to return and just go, okay, God, maybe this is part of why you said take courage. Because you're sending me back to my people. You're sending me back to the people who first sent me out. And oh, what a joy it is to be back with the people I'm used to gathering with. Oh, what a joy it is to be back with my neighbors, my friends, my partners in the gospel who love me well, who know me well, who serve me, whom I love. And then he continues in verse 23. After spending some time there, he goes through the region of Galatia and Phrygia and what does he do? It ends with strengthening the disciples. You know, last Sunday we were shown that, that God doesn't just speak words of encouragement for the sake of flattery. So when God tells Paul, don't be afraid, it's not like he gives him a further response. Don't be afraid. You've got this. You've got your own strength. You can pull yourself up. You do these really good things. No, he says, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. I am with you. And it's not like a friend where God just stands before Paul. Maybe you've been in that, that circumstance where you have a friend near you, and they're just at a loss of words, and they just go, yeah, uh, I'm sure it'll be all right. You know, sometimes those don't comfort us truly. You know, sometimes we, we need to be pointed back and go, I, I'm not sure that it's going to be all right. And I'm actually trying to get you to remind me that it's okay if it's not all right. God, in his encouragement to us as the people of God, God, in his encouragement to Paul, what is his encouragement over and over? It's solely grounded in the character of his son. Because what's God's initiative? God the Father, 
His initiative is to exalt the Son just as the Son wants to exalt the Father. And just as the initiative, the initiative of the Spirit is to exalt the Father and the Son, right? This wonderful, glory-sharing community of the Trinity that says, I seek to glorify or expose the glory of the Godhead, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And Paul had receive this encouragement of Jesus Christ. Because what is the character of Christ himself? Steadfastness, enduring, faithful in all things. You know, that makes us think about Jesus in Matthew 28. This is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he had come before the Father in prayer. It's, it's crazy to think that Jesus is God himself And yet, taking on flesh, being fully God and fully man, exposes in my flesh, I'm going to give an example of what it means to be needy, of what it means to be a suffering servant. Because what does he do? He says, my father, in Matthew 26, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You know, this enduring steadfastness of the Lord to be obedient even unto death. Jesus Christ in His humility. And here Paul has given this same exor- or is given that by God. Remain. Remain in me. Trust in me. I'm not giving you words of flattery. Paul's neediness, his weakness, it's not like it stopped, you know. It's not like it ended. It's not like, okay, don't be afraid, and now it's all done. God didn't say, now that you're following my son, Jesus, the hard stuff is going to end. No, take courage, continue, speak boldly, don't be silent. What can we learn from all of this? In other words, how are we as the people of God to respond to this section of Acts 18, 18 through 23. I wonder how often we believe that as we become more Christ-like, that somehow our weakness or our weaknesses are somehow going to fade away. You know? Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes in following Jesus, you know, going, I want to grow in maturity. I want to grow in being Christ-like. Sometimes we tend to believe, well, that means it's just going to get easier and easier. I just don't see that in God's Word. And that kind of stinks to think about. But the truth is, is God sustains His people. What's amazing about that, it's, it's really just the opposite, right? The, the more I draw near to Christ and to the obedience that He invites me into, the more I see how completely, utterly helpless I am without Him. I, I see my need more and more than ever when I truly follow Jesus. But, but here's the beauty of all of that. You and I aren't called to grow in strength. What are we told? We're told in Scripture to stand firm. We're told to wait on the Lord, as the psalmist would remind. We're told many things to do in obedience to Christ. But getting stronger is not one of them. In other words, Picking yourself up, making yourself better is not one of them. Following Jesus and resting in his work 
is what obedience is. And going, you are making me more like Christ. And sometimes being made more like Christ is actually being made more needy. Right? It's amazing the God of the universe would actually put a neediness on display and exemplify that for us. You know, once again, Matthew 26, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. God shows His glory in our weakness. Jesus Christ exposed the glory of the Father when He expressed weakness in His prayer. The glory of God is on display also when our weakness is exposed. It's also ex exposed when we attend to the weakness of one another, right? That takes us back to Priscilla and Aquila and how they continue to journey on. And we're going to see their story continue, how they'll actually encourage Apollos and how they'll begin to start a church and how they'll begin to equip others and make other disciples to be strengthened by the Lord and what Christ-like strength means also means to actually strengthen others as Paul at the end of this passage does. You know, in his weakness, he goes on and he says, I'm not making myself strong, but I'm actually exposing the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what strengthening the disciples does. I've come alongside you. The glory of God is on display when we attend to the weaknesses of one another. You know, our examples of that in our community here, Church in the Square, once again, it brings us back to group life, right? How we disciple one another in group life. How we come alongside one another in our, our needs. How we, how we come alongside even the unbeliever who may attend here with us. Or the unbeliever on our block. And we say, man, I'm, I'm just trying to serve you with a meal as you're in need. But I'm trying to come alongside you and show you that there's someone who actually offers a, a greater meal. There's someone that says, you'll never thirst again when you come to me, to the living water. Those things, how do we come alongside the weaknesses of others because we recognize our own weakness? And in this same idea of a meal, coming alongside one another, providing for one another, bearing one another's burdens, it actually brings us to the table. It brings us to a meal that we celebrate every time we gather together. Hear this, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he did this. He took a loaf of bread before his disciples, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, a picture of what his body would be. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took a cup after supper, saying, this cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a moment, we're going to partake in this meal. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, bring all of your weakness, bring all of your neediness, even as you come to the table and remember that Christ truly is our strength. Bring your weakness and your need and your failure before the table and, and remember that Christ is not done working, that we truly commune with a living Savior, 
A living Savior who's going to return one day and wipe away all pain and heartache. Until that day we come along one, an- one another. And that's what communion also portrays, right? It means to commune, to, to be united with one another, to be reconciled to one another. So as you come to the table, remember your brothers and sisters in Christ. Come to the table crying out before the Lord saying, I want to rest in this good news that you've done the work, that you're the victorious Savior. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here today with us, we're glad you're here. We want you to hear very clearly, we can't get away from the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is truly the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. If you're here not following Jesus and you say, I've been striving for a Savior, but I have a very different picture in mind. It, it, it means I'm trying to use my strength. It won't happen. Run to Christ. Let us show you what that looks like. Let us tell you what it looks like. We'd love to talk with you even down here after this gathering's over. Come meet with us, or we're happy to meet with you during the week. And we'd love to prepare you to take this meal in the future. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for calling us out, calling us a people until, unto the name of your Savior, Jesus Christ, of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the name of your Son. Thank you for being our rescuer, our redeemer. Thank you for giving us a promise that you truly, Jesus, will return and make all things new. Until that day, thank you that the Holy Spirit is with us and present and empowers us in our weakness. One, to rely on the Savior over and over, empowers us to be bold. Send us out again this week proclaiming your glory before the watching world and in our own lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You can come partake when you're ready.